because there are going to be defects regardless of how thorough or how how many years you try to prepare for this is always going to be some struggles. But really understanding the landscape of how the business functions as you are trying to mitigate any disruptions to the to the running business. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Whether to go for iterative deployment or Big Bang is always subject to debate. But one factor that is often missed is the number of issues you might get on the day of deployment, as well as the number of resources that you may require to avoid and control the impact of business disruptions. Most consulting companies would often advise against the massive rollouts. The smaller the deployment, the more manageable it is. But that may not always be possible due to the system architecture and the amount of additional temporary overhead that may be required to support a phased deployment. In today's episode, our guests, Nate and Jess Sizzler, shares their insights on the Lululemon's case study of a massive rollout of their ELP and WMS. They also discussed the specific decisions that led to them opting for the one weekend rollout despite their system integrator advising otherwise. Finally, they share details about the architectural considerations and resulting inventory issues that required months of hypercare post-deployment. Let me introduce Jess and Nate to you. Jess and Nate have a combined 30 years of experience in global supply chain and enterprise systems. Prior to starting their consulting business, they worked together at Lululemon where they met for nearly five years, launching a string of successful programs, including four Manhattan WMS deployments, a global RFID rollout, and a globally synchronous deployment of Oracle RMS. They have been married for nearly three years now, have a 10-month-old baby Hudson, and recently purchased a home in central Ohio, which will serve as the home base for their family and their consulting business. With that, let's get to the conversation. Jess, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Really excited to be here. Whenever I have two guests on the podcast, it's always so much fun because we get so much advice. And you guys are super deep in the warehouse processes. So it's going to be so much fun discussing that. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Nate, I will start with you first. Great. I mean, normally I would say ladies first, but I'm, I'm happy to go first. So Nate Schistler, I've been working in vertically integrated apparel supply for almost two decades now. You know, companies you've heard of like Eddie Bauer, DHL Supply Chain. A big part of today's discussion uh, will focus around our time at Lululemon, uh, where I worked for almost seven years, um, opening distribution centers around the world for them. 
current focus today, Jess and I actually have a consulting practice, which we'll probably talk about later in the show, but we, uh, we do a lot of work focused specifically on uh, the e-commerce industry and supporting brands that are launching circular programs and retail channels. That's me, Jess. Awesome. Well, I'm Jessica Schistler. I come from a non-traditional background when it comes to uh, where I'm at now. So I originally studied law with the intention of going into law enforcement. I worked with Purelater, which is basically Canadian um, version of like a FedEx or a UPS. It's the largest uh, carrier company in Canada. And I led their investigations. Um, so everything from hijackings to working with different police forces to solve loss. I left here later, went over to Target Canada, which was a pilot for Target. Basically, we opened 124 stores in 18 months. We had three distribution centers. I led their work in building out their um, investigation tools within WMS and within their ERP system. And then I transitioned over to a very obvious space for me, which was continuous improvement and distribution. Um, Most of people would know what happened with Target Canada. There was many issues um, within our ERP system and our processes. And after three short years, we got shut down and That left me and 19,000 other people scrambling on what's next in our careers. Um, I looked around and I went over, decided I was going to leave Toronto and move over to Vancouver and join Lululemon. I was with Lululemon for uh, six years and I was in their finance department um, leading inventory control. And uh, we had some pretty spicy deployments underway. We had our ERP system, which we launched. Um, We had RFID, which we launched globally, but specifically with the ERP system, I worked really closely with Nate on the supply chain side, me on the requirements, um, testing, cutover, deployment, and then the never ending, you know, defects that you live in. So that, uh, that was very fun, (laughs) very challenging, grew a bunch. And then uh, with RFID, we decided like we had RFID in our stores, we leveraged that for our um, inventory accuracy. And uh, we decided to cut off with and regist for our traditional stock counts and use RFID. So um, those are some of the bigger projects that I took part in, as well as the Like New Pilot, which is the direction that Nate and I have taken our own business. Um, And then recently, we had it, we had our first baby daughter, um, Hudson, in August. And uh, with that came a change in perspective. And I joined Nate in our side hustle, which is now our main hustle. And now we're running our own show called Maven Circular. And uh, yeah, that's that's a fast forward version of uh, how we got to where we are right now. So first off, congratulations to both of you and uh, Nate. Uh, you know, I also like to do the ladies first, but when it comes to the softball questions, I already target those to men, and then you know, hard questions are going to be reserved for ladies. Okay, so the next question is going to be for Jess. <laughs> okay. So um, perfect. So one of the things that we do here is going to be a very standard question that we ask every single guest has, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. And I'm going to start with Jess. Yeah. So business growth, uh, I'm a very reserved person when it comes to risk. 
I am someone that likes to assess and evaluate and set new goals and reevaluate. Um, I think I think if a business um, decides they don't want to grow anymore, that's okay. And in terms of growth, when a business is hungry to continue to move forward and growing, um, I would say with caution. And um, you know, I've worked for some businesses that were very aggressive, like Target and Lululemon is very aggressive. Um, and how quickly they create change. Um, and I am, um, I always, I always come in and asking the questions around the data. Where's the data? Let's look at the data. You know, let's pilot something, a true pilot without intention of rolling out, um, just to actually gauge the, the value. And if it's actually hitting the KPIs and metrics that are considered success. And so I'm more of a growth at, uh, at a relatively slow pace. I can support fast pace and I have for several years. Um, but personally, I'm someone that really appreciates uh, the data and um, understanding and making sure that everyone is keeping in mind what those metrics are for success. Amazing. Nate, do you want to add your perspective? Yeah, I mean, when Jess said that she was supporting fast growth the last few years, I think she meant me specifically. I, I'm, I'm definitely more of a ready, fire, aim kind of person. But in terms of like sage business advice that can come from, you know, our combined experience, I would say scrappy and cheap don't necessarily have to mean the same thing. I think, I think a lot of brands that are in a growth phase think those terms are synonymous. And my advice to a company that's contemplating, you know, an inflection point as it pertains to their growth is it's okay to be scrappy, but, but don't be cheap. Don't sell yourself short when you're investing back into the business. If you and, and as a result of that perspective, if you're not ready to invest in a big way financially, then your business probably isn't ready to make that kind of tipping point change. So maybe wait a little bit longer, maybe bank a little bit more profit until you can reinvest it back into the company. Because what we've seen many times is that that businesses try and they try and, and take this kind of like cheap mindset when it comes to investing in systems or processes or, or large structural changes. And then what they end up doing is they end up getting a solution that is really just a mirror image of what they had before. And then they go through, you know, multiple years of defects and enhancements, which is way more expensive than just investing a little more upfront the first time. I agree more. And I am simply going to build on this one. So when you look at any sort of WMS or ERP implementations, those are probably going to be the tipping point change in any company's yep. life cycle. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we wanted to cover as part of this episode is going to be your Lululemon story of the ERP deployment. So your recommendation is go scrappy, but you know overall from the company perspective, I don't think they actually went scrappy in terms of the the operating model that they had for the project. So I don't know. I mean, see, this is probably a good start in terms of you know painting the color in what happened overall with the project. So I don't know. I mean, Jess is probably going to have a richer background from the requirement perspective. So Jess, do you want to start painting the story about the project? What was this about? And then we can come back to Nate and he can add value from the supply chain perspective. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So we had a great um, internal resource that um, was leading the project on the Lululemon side, Daniel Andrew. He was in a difficult position coordinating. I think anyone who's in that role really has a tough time leading an ERP deployment of a large scale global one day cutover. So, you know, working with him uh, really closely over the last couple of years 
my time at Lululemon, there was definitely a lot of push and pull from, you know, you have the Accenture side. So we, you know, Lululemon used Accenture for the deployment. And then we had internal resources, which um, were just a handful of people that were dedicated. And like most ERP solutions and deployments, you have a lot of people working off the side of their desk. Both Nate and I, that was kind of our role. My my role was, um, I at the end of the, once we deployed, it was now potentially my problem or something that was working smoothly for us. So that's, uh, you know, resourcing and and ensuring that there's a dedicated time for training and that change management um, was really important for us. And ensuring, I think, an area that anyone walking into an ERP deployment, really understanding what does it mean? Not necessarily like the system, but like what does it mean for how the business is going to change how we function, how we collaborate cross-functionally with different teams, that needs to be done up front before we even get into how do you prioritize different functions and whatnot. So I'd say that were some of the some of the bigger things for me personally that that was a bit of a, a learning there. And um, we pushed we ended up having to push the dates back a couple times, which yep. I think is, you know, when it needs to happen, it needs to happen. You don't want to go prematurely and walking out with like known issues because there are going to be defects regardless of how thorough or how how many years you try to prepare for this is always going to be some struggles. Um, but really understanding, you know, the landscape of how the how the business functions as you are trying to mitigate any um, disruptions to the to the running business, because obviously you don't want that to happen. Um, and to mitigate that as much as possible. Sam, maybe I could set uh, the stage a little bit more broadly for you. I mean, the, yeah. the Lululemon's ERP project really began in 2014 when yeah. I joined the organization. And, and, and so while we think of the effort around ERP as a, like a 12 or 18 month project, Lululemon had grown to a point where in, in early 2000, they had started using uh, a merchandising platform uh, known as MMS. And then they continued to modify and enhance that merchandising tool to become their ERP. They were also using it as their work as they're also using as their warehouse management system. And so before they could even contemplate deploying RMS, they had to untangle themselves from using this highly modified instance of MMS, which they had grown to become, you know, a $2 billion global company yeah. using this hack, hack together modified you know, merchandising platform as their ERP and their merchandising tool and their WMS. So for the three years leading up to the start of the, the ERP project, my role at the company was going DC to DC and getting them off of MMS and, and converting them over to Manhattan WMS. So we had to get every corporate D, every corporate DC in North America and Australia off of uh, on, onto a new WMS, and that's when we could actually start the work of like getting ready to deploy RMS. So it was really like almost a four-year project with like three years of corporate, you know, prep to get all the DCs off of. Basically, they were running their DCs off of their ERP, so get them off of their ERP, so they could then change over the ERP, and then. The decision around like the approach to that deployment, you know, back to my earlier comment about scrappy versus cheap, I I would never advise anybody to do a coordinated global <laughs> every market at the same time cut over yeah. 
to your ERP. But that was the decision that we made because from a cost standpoint, it was it was the most cost effective way to do it, but definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, when you think about like coordinating the shutdown of all of your DCs across all, all time zones in the US, that takes a rolling 24 hour period. Then you have a deployment cycle that takes 24 to 48 hours. And then another 24 hours to start all of your DCs back up, you know, one by one and testing, you know, you're really talking like kind of a five day sustained cutover effort to do every single market in one big go. Um, but that's just to give you kind of like the 35,000 foot view of that project, which was actually about a four year long effort, starting with the supply chain side of it, which is where I was working. I really appreciate that, to be honest. Now it is going to be slightly better picture overall for the listeners, but I'm pretty sure they are going to have a lot more gaps there in understanding, okay, so we yeah. are talking about using merchandising platform as the ERP. Then we are doing a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, upgrade onto the, the WMS system. In this particular case, the Manhattan is going to be the WMS system. So what is happening with the accounting side of things? I don't know, Jess, if you are going to have any sort of insights there. What was the accounting platform before? Did they, uh, you know, come with the, the newer accounting platform? I don't know if it is the SAP S4 HANA installment. Uh, you know, and I don't know if you sort of had the integration model between your WMS and the uh, S4 HANA. How many different vendors were involved for doing that? Is that all part of Accenture? So do you want to provide some more colors there? Well, Lululemon used Oracle as their accounting okay. platform. Um, and they went through an update in 2021. So I wasn't a part of that project. But prior to that, Lululemon had MMS, the original ERP system going into Oracle. And then when we converted over to RMS, our new ERP system, they just reconnected it into the existing Oracle. So we just reconciled our old ERP to our new ERP system um, as we were working through that and ensuring there wasn't going to be any flips from an accounting perspective. In that like transitionary period leading up to that cutover, you went from a model where your inventory of record and your WMS were the same system, that system being Correct. MMS. And so, yeah, so building by building, you had to carve off. This was what I was doing and how Jess and I first met. You had to carve off one building at a time and say, okay, now this building's inventory lives in WMS with an integration back to MMS. And then now the next building's inventory lives in WMS with an integration back to MMS. And you had to do that until all of the buildings had been carved off of that inventory of record. And then you could get to the point where you could go to that, you know, deploying an ERP and, and synchronizing between the systems. So there was a period of time where like, when the DC made a change to inventory that it was actually changing the accounting inventory of record, like instantaneously, because it was in the same system. There was no checks and balances between the two. Very interesting. So I don't know if there was, was a phase where somebody sat down and sort of, you know, painted the holistic picture of the entire architecture. It doesn't seem like anybody did that. So basically, Nate, let's say if I understand this right, and any of you can chime in on this, okay? Uh, whoever has far more background based on supply chain or, or the finance. Mm -hmm. So let's say if I'm looking at this, you know, as the sort of the solution architect person that, okay, you are trying to build an architecture, you have many different systems, and you are actually trying to manage all your inventory inside each of the DC, and you are sort of, you know, trying to isolate that. 
but you need the financial information to be able to do your inventory. You are not simply counting because finance is probably going to need that as well for the product costing. So how was that exchange happening? Who was doing that? Was it uh, part of your WMS system? Was it part of your, uh, you know, whichever ERP system? I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, who was playing the role of ERP here? Yeah, I mean, when you think about, so if you think about a really simple system context diagram, prior to 2014, if you were to map out the system context diagram for inventory at Lululemon, yeah. there yeah. was one box. And that okay. one box was MMS. That was how we cut POs. That was where we held our inventory of record. That's where we held landed cost, MSR, MSRP. And that's also, believe it or not, where we held inventory location at the DC level. There was literally just one box. MMS did everything. And then in, early, in late 2013, early 2014, it's okay, we need to get out of this world. Like this isn't scalable for a company size, even the size we were then. And so the system, you know, the future state system context diagram became a WMS and an ERP and uh, an integration layer in between. But to get to that model, you had to separate your your inventory location tool, which what what we call WMS, it is separate that from your ERP. And then you can change out your ERP because you would never use like you would never use Oracle RMS to like pick, pack and ship in the warehouse. But Lululemon was using this merchandising tool that had been highly customized to actually like pick, pack and ship inventory. And it was the accounting inventory of record at the same time. So your system context went from like one box to two boxes with an integration layer in between. And then you were able to change out that second part. Pretty interesting. Jess, do you have anything? And then of course, yeah, of course there's like, 50 boxes of right. inventory. So like <laughs> Nate's talking about like the very specific component of like inventory position, where if you like take a step back, Lululemon's integration layers, m- you know, multi-system, Accenture did take care, Accenture in collaboration with our PM who was managing Lululemon's ERP conversion, they were working really closely to consider all of the upstream and downstream implications of the ERP system that we were moving into. Um, a good way to obviously think about it is like, I think uh, a quote that was going around at Lululemon for a couple of years as we were living the life of conversion was doing like um, open heart surgery on a, on a moving plane or something like that. And, and it was, it was basically that from a scale perspective, you know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars of inventory at that needed to be converted. You know, you had 600 plus stores you have. Um, I think at the time we had like eight physical DCs, maybe seven at the time and both e-com and, and retail and a bunch of other, uh, DC channels in in our distribution center. So, you know, pausing all of that to be able to convert and then consider the up and downstream integrations and considerations there. Having that all mapped out was is super critical and having a successful deployment. Really interesting. And overall, from the core structure perspective, and I don't know, uh, you know, how deeply Accenture was engaged in this project, and I don't know who was really driving it from the get-go, I don't know if multiple departments were sort of, you know, they were driving different initiatives. And maybe that's the reason why everybody sort of landed in this situation. So who was the the driver of this project? And what were the other projects that were running in parallel, which may have caused some of the conflict? Uh, Nate, do you want to start? Yeah. I can. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Nate. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, when I started at Lululemon as the supply chain side of the project, so the conversion to Manhattan WMS, it was actually being driven by um, the IT org. And it was because at the time the IT org kind of owned that system roadmap of like, we need to bring in a world-class ERP. In order to do that, we have to do all of these other things. And so it started as a IT initiative. Um, and then once, once all of the corporate DCs were off of the ERP and using a, a proper WMS, that's when I think Jess had really transitioned to be like a finance-led initiative. Finance. Yeah, because the dependency there was the, the WMS complexity. So once the WMS... Once we launched all of those uh, Manhattan sites, it really enabled the finance team to really own it start to finish. And that's when we um, we partnered up with Accenture on on the detailed deployment plan. Very interesting. And how about supply chain and uh, the operations? Were they involved? How about sales and marketing? I think they need to be impacted as well, right? Because you have 600 different stores here. So they have to do the merchandising as part of this as well. And I don't know if they really had sort of that centralized view of the inventory because, you know, Nate is talking about just one piece of the inventory, but then you are talking about a little bit of centralized view of the inventory. But when everything is going to be all over the place, I don't know how you get that centralized view of inventory that you need for the merchandising and planning. Yeah. So merchandising and planning, they have their own system and they were just, you know, pulling, it it would get auto pulled every day into their snapshot from the existing ERP system. So they were involved in the, um, you know, in requirement gathering, they were involved in all of the different phases um, throughout the deployment. So they knew what was happening. They knew, you know, they had to pull up some POs or they had to pause some POs because we had to halt all the inventory during that cutover period. Um, so they, so the merchandisers, you know, we had a handful of them that were like the leadership that was involved on this with um, the finance team very closely. We also had later in the project, we had different distribution had, you know, folks from those um, orgs that were involved because there was dependencies on them, you know, not shipping after this day or not fulfilling orders after this day. So basically the finance team in collaboration with some of the supply chain functions, we, we created the plan. And once we created the plan and all of the considerations within the plan on how are we going to make this happen with minimal impact to our e-com guests and what was going to come on the screen when they were going to be ordering. And I think we did a really good job at Lululemon ensuring that not too many teams were involved where they weren't, they didn't have to contribute anything. We, um, you know, we would share that this was coming down the pipeline and this is how it would impact you, but we would keep them out of the weeds really. And then that really enabled us to be able to continue with our timeline and um, and ensure that, you know, your your role in the project is if you think another team needs to be engaged, like put your hand up and let's communicate. And there was a couple of times where, you know, we we learned we needed to involve a, a few other teams in a decision. But I think, uh, you know, that learning only helped us grow stronger and, and, and move forward. So um, I would say the finance team really led it in collaboration with a handful of folks from merchandising and, and the supply chain team. And Sam, you're, I mean, you were pressing into a, an interesting point there. I was thinking about as, as Jess was just speaking, you know, there, when you think about like 
a global view of inventory accuracy and what inventory is positioned where, you know, there was one experience. Lululemon always wanted to maintain the accuracy of the website because you don't want to have that like stock out experience. That's a really bad guest experience. And so there was always an emphasis to make sure that the storefront was looking at the most current snapshot of inventory, very tight integration between the storefront and WMS. And frankly, the the black hole of inventory, Jess's world, you know, she lived through this world for many years. The black hole of inventory was always on the store side. And so the store inventory got, you know, over the course, you know, when you go from like from physical inventory to physical inventory, that was kind of where the, the store was like the sacrificial lamb of like inventory systems. And it did make it tough for the merchandising and planning teams because they always knew that they were planning they were often planning into an inventory position that was inaccurate and really like inaccurate by design, because if you had to choose, you always wanted to make sure that the storefront had the most accurate inventory. So guests aren't, you know, they're giving you the credit card and they're paying in advance. It's a really bad guest experience. And you send them an email and say, Hey, I don't have this, but like if they walk into a store and you don't have it, you might miss a sale, but you can still maintain a good you know guest experience and pivot into something else. Yeah. Could not agree more. I mean, that's, Gorgeous. I was going to say, and to that point, um, I mentioned RFID and Lululemon used RFID for our perpetual ledger for uh, for many years. So stores would go in and they would have RFID handhelds. They would scan all of our product on a weekly basis, actually very frequently. And that would update the perpetual ledger, which would then support the merchandisers really ensure that they're planning against accurate inventory. Um, eventually, we lent, we went over to our stock count and, and, and updating our stock ledger with RFID. But for us, we, we made sure that... Um, you know, we had an accurate snapshot ahead of the cutover period. So we actually did a stock count before we got into um, cutting over. And really, that was to ensure that from a financial risk perspective, we knew what was in inventory, you know, a few weeks before cutover, then instead of depending on something that happened, you know, six months ago, and when you have shrink rates that are, you know, in and around 3%, um, and you haven't done a, a stock take in uh, in six months, you know, the risk is is quite high there. So, you know, before we actually got into the weeds of cutting over, we did a stock count, um, which then gave us the confidence of the inventory position um, before and after the, the conversion. Amazing. And whose idea was it to do the, uh, you know, massive cutover? Uh, and I don't know if there was a debate uh, in terms of doing the massive cutover versus not doing the massive cutover. So do you want to paint some colors there? You know, what was the debate like and what were the decision making in, in doing the massive cutover? Um, at a high level, I would say Accenture advised on not doing a mass cutover okay. <clears throat> where Lululemon um, felt like, you know, based off of the, the co- like just cost mitigation and savings um, and also just how our supply chain functions. That's where they believed the one cutover was going to be the best way. Lululemon also, which uniquely, I think, um, has only one ERP system globally. So instead of having an ERP system in Europe and in Asia and then in North America, we actually functioned with one. Um, it made some interesting things occur with, you know, time zones and end of day snapshots. But um, that, that was Lululemon's position. And I don't think I get much more colorful than that, unfortunately, on that topic. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, as, as you're asking that question, Sam, like who made the decision, I, I would say it was nobody on this call. Nobody in this conversation <laughs> made that decision. I, you know, it's it's one of those things where looking back on it, you can say, yep, it worked. And let's never do it again that way. It it worked. It was, it's not something I would ever advise someone or an organization to do. I understand why we did it. I think because we were willing to like sacrifice accuracy and visibility on the retail inventory position, I think that that's probably what enabled it to happen because we had, you know, you heard Jess refer like the perpetual ledger. We had this secondary inventory pool that we were capturing our inventory position in using RFID. So there was a period of time where Lululemon was maintaining two pools of inventory on the retail side. There was the accounting stock ledger, like what we report, you know, our SEC filings. But then there was this other pool of inventory that was being maintained in parallel via RFID. And that's what the merchandising team was using. And so I think because we had that pool of inventory for most stores, certainly the North American stores at the time, and because we had a really refined process for keeping the e-com inventory accurate, I think that's what enabled a decision like shut down your global supply chain and cut over to one ERP in one big long weekend. I think if one or two of if one of those two components was missing, the whole thing would have would have fallen apart. It it definitely backed Blue Lemon into some pretty tough corners when you think about overnight batch processing. You have a very narrow window now because all your markets are using the same ERP. And so if you're going to do off hours processing, there's not many hours in the middle of the night that are off hours when you think about a global organization. Um, So definitely some challenges in the early days of like batch processes not getting complete in time and then, you know, markets coming online and needing to access the system. And it's definitely not the easiest way to do a, an ERP deployment. So you made a very interesting comment there about the long weekend and cut over doing, doing over the long weekend. And typically in the ERP community, if you ask anyone, they are going to advise not to do anything over long weekend. In fact, take out one day before, one day after, just don't do anything there. Because you are not going to find a lot of people that are going to be super critical in making those decisions. And that's the advice typically we have in the ERPWMS community. So now, you know, in your case, you actually decided to do uh, it over the long weekend. Did you find all of the people that you needed? What if somebody just says that, you know what, I had plans and I want to go. And now do you sort of, you know, call them back? And then are you going to tell them that, you know what, you're not going to have a job tomorrow (laughs) if you don't show up? Yeah, I don't. Jess, you might remember, I, I, I said long weekend. I don't, I didn't actually mean, I don't think we did over a holiday weekend. I, it just we? felt long. <laughs> it was just I think a it very felt long, long. <laughs> yeah, it was just a very long weekend. Yeah. yeah. So my team was the team that reconciled. Um, you know, we had two halves of the team. We had a store team that reconciled all store inventory and all in transit inventory. Yeah. And then we had a team that reconciled all distribution. Inbound POs maintain the same just because they were not received yet. And I would say, I think between myself and my partner, we worked, me and my team worked some very long hours that the Canadian labor business would not appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) I would say it's definitely north of 12 hours. Um, And I would say Accenture was with us the whole time. And, um, you know, they were a great partner to work with. But I would say that um, you know, we did some practice cutovers a- a- ahead of it. Um, 
to really learn and understand like, you know, how to navigate when there's discrepancies, how do we, at what, at what drill down do we get down to? We're not going to go down to the, you know, unique SKU number and, and style number and size of a shirt in one store when we have 600. So, you know, really aligning on what is that reasonable number that we're going to reconcile up into against. Um, I think really helped us work smoothly, but we did identify, you know, some, some missing information and uh, which is, I think, pretty typical and, you know, navigating that through the conversion rather than after the conversion. So that would, uh, I think my advice there is lots of coffee, you know, team culture is really important. I think, you know, our teams were, you know, this was like the Super Bowl for us. And, you know, we were all we knew, like, if anyone was getting sick, we were going to probably be in a bit of trouble. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I gave everyone some vitamin C a couple days leading up to make sure that we were all going to be healthy and, and happy, ready to go. But um, I would, I would say that that, uh, you know, getting ready for that and ensuring that your resources are, you know, they understand and that commitment is there choosing your resources for this like critical time is really important. So that was, uh, that was how we approached it. The reason we keep talking about it as this like long weekend is when you think about doing a globally coordinated cutover, every cutover step requires a full 24 hour cycle because you've got to touch every market. Yeah. So two days before ERP deployment, you know, my team's responsibility was to get every single DC to ship clean and shut down. And that takes a full 24 hour cycle because you've got to talk to every market one by one and, and go through their end of day. And then we hand it off to Jess's team and the project team to deploy and reconcile. And then one by one, we have to test every single market once they come back online. So it's every two hours, you've got a Zoom call with the next market saying, okay, can you receive one unit? Can you, can you pick one unit? Can you ship one unit? And then we're checking to make sure it lands. So your, your cutover on top of like all of the technical deployment is also extended because every cycle in the cutover takes a 24-hour cycle to get through every single market and make sure they're all working. The only thing we can take right now is going to be the closing advice. So I don't know yeah. who want to start. So yeah, so closing advice, please. Yeah, I'll start. So I think like something that came up for me that, you know, some of the things I'm going to bring up are learnings and some of them are just what I would suggest. <laughs> Um, I think overall Lululemon's approach worked and um, it's something that I would really encourage other other folks as um, as they're approaching this is, you know, having hyper care lined up, um, ensuring that there is hyper care for at least a month. Um, there are some actions that don't happen every day. So um, ensuring that you have a hyper care team that is dedicated, they're not working off the side of the desk and they're focused primarily on that. Number two is really having a, a business owner to take over the product um, and that gets identified and you have a resource that, you know, is skilled to do that. Um, and then three is having, um, you know, this might be a phased approach. You might have one or two resources at the beginning, but having someone to log and prioritize for the entire business defects and how do they get prioritized for um, for correction and then for retesting um retesting you know there you know you're bracing for this cutover period and you have all these extra resources and you have the time to really do a clean cutover but where i spent the last year and a half of my career at lululemon was 
is, was really in this like hyper care, like identifying defects, working with the team to, to, to come up with the requirements on how something needs to get corrected and what the outcome has to be, and then testing that and ensuring that each team has those resources to do that, especially your QA team and a team that is going to be not just the finance team, but like you need all the um, cross-functional folks to have those resources to be able to make those changes when there's defects. And then the product owner to then really map out what does the next two, three years look like in collaboration with the cross-functional teams. Really my, I would encourage like a lot of, I think there's a lot of focus that happens like right in that, for that conversion and for the leading up to the conversion and where I think I can see a lot of gaps happening with companies, including Lululemon, is really the what happens after and who owns it and where are those funds and how do you create those business cases and do you have the resources with the right skills to ensure that the business is still moving forward and they're not just going to live in this land of brand new you know ERP system, but there's you know the evolution of that and moving forward with it and correcting you know new defects and identifying new defects. Um, it's pretty critical in ensuring you're not just creating a, an ERP system that is a solution for one snapshot at a time, and then you're moving on in life and the ERP system isn't growing with the business. Okay, amazing. Nate, what is going to be your closing advice, please? Yeah, two, two things. One, surround yourself with good advisors and listen to them. I would be cautious to say or careful to say like listening to them doesn't mean that you need to do what they suggest, but you still need to listen. So Solicit the input of folks who have been there, whether that's the consulting firm that you engage to support your deployment, or maybe that's hiring a key resource in your organization. You know, at the end of the day, you know, your audience is full of business leaders who it's their job to make the call as, as to how a deployment is going to go down. I'm not suggesting that you should let your advisors make that call for you, but at least make sure you're getting good input from all perspectives and not one perspective. And then the second thing I would say is don't just build a better version of what you're currently doing. If you're contemplating an ERP deployment or any major corporate system deployment, the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is to just take your current business process and replicate it in that new system simply because it's easier. Because then what you end up doing is you spend three times as much money on the back end with you know enhancement requests and really like dissatisfied business partners who are looking for new functionality who weren't heard in the original scoping sessions. And you know, unfortunately, I watched Lululemon do this twice. I watched them do it with their WMS, where their WMS was built to replicate the workflow of their kind of hijacked ERP WMS. And I watched them do it with their ERP, where their new ERP was built to replicate the workflow of their old ERP. And then, you know, going through multiple years of like trying to justify why you want to change it. There's a, there's a magic moment where you have the opportunity to change your business process. And that moment is, is sometime before you start configuring your solution. And, and this is where my, you know, my comment at the onset of the call about like, don't be cheap. To me, that's like, that's being cheap. Take this as an opportunity to really reinvent and future-proof your business, not just get off one burning bridge and onto another. Amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that you need to listen up very closely when someone says that, do not do massive cut over because they really need <laughs> yeah. it. 
Okay, they are yeah. trying to avoid <laughs> the sleepless night for you. So listen up closely. On that note, I want to thank both of you for your time and insights in this episode. This was a powerful episode. Of course. Thank Great. you. This was thanks. We really enjoyed it. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about them or Maven Circular or are interested in the circular economy or need any help with any aspects of your supply chain, check out their website at mavencircular.com. It's M-A-V-E-N-C-I-R-C-U-L-A-R.com. Or you can reach them by email at go at mavencircular.com. It's go at M-A-V-E-N-C-I-R-C-U-L-A-R.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Tim Harrison, who discusses various ASRS systems and why they are essential to increase the productivity of a warehouse. Also, the interview with Kevin Lawton from the New Warehouse podcast, who discusses why standardization plays a key role in inventory planning. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.